0: Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart.
1: Good morning, afternoon, and evening, everyone, and welcome, welcome, welcome to my show. As always, my favorite time of the week, this is the sixth year that I've been on air doing this particular show, seven years doing either broadcast or podcast or streaming or something or the other. And it is my favorite, favorite, favorite time of the week when I get to connect with you, my listeners, and get to hear from you what you think of my guests, how they've shifted your perspectives. And then I get to find out really incredible news like I just found out this week. Jay McBain from Foresters International has ranked this show one of the top 100 podcasts in the channel. And the channel is something that we in the tech world talk about where it's all the businesses involved in keeping products flowing, services flowing, and we call that the channel. So it's really an honor two years in a row to be listed in the top 100 podcasts because there are so many. I mean, there's over 2 million podcasts that are created out there right now. And this show as well, it's all about the questions, is ranked in the top 5% of all podcasts globally. And that's as a thanks to all of you listeners who make that show that. So please keep listening, telling your friends about the show, uh, rating, reviewing, following, whatever the platforms ask you to do, the more you talk about the show, the more uh, people will find it, and it enables me to keep this show going. So thank you for all of your support. And today I have another incredible guest on the show with me today. He's somebody from my geek world, from my tech world, who I've known for a really long time through several different incarnations of his career, Um Jason Bystrak is on the show. He's from DNH, which is one of the largest distribution companies that used to, pro- that provides tech products and services. And when I had my MSP, if those of you remember, I've talked about this several different times. You know, I'm a geek. I owned a tech services company for 15 years that I founded until I sold it. And Tech has always been in my blood. I mean, it's a first love of mine. in addition to this show, I am just an unevalued, you know, a complete total dork of a geek when you get me started talking about it. Inside that tech world, there's been massive changes happening inside the channel. Jason and we're hoping Peter Demarco can make it here today as well. I had mentioned that Peter was going to be on the show and the promotions for this, and he got pulled away. But if he can come in, he'll join us. But Jason is currently the VP of Cloud Services at DNH, and there's been this mergers acquisitions. All sorts of things happening at different levels inside the tech world and outside the tech world as well. And today I want to bring Jason on because we want to talk about, welcome to the show Jason, by the way. Um, I want to talk about this whole idea of when everybody else around you seems to be going in a certain direction, mergers, acquisitions, buying other companies, or just deciding this is the path that we're going to do. How do you chart your own course or do you follow what everybody else is doing? And I know that you are the perfect person to talk about this, Jason. You've been in the industry, um, as long as I have or longer.
0: <laughs> well, thanks so much for having me today, Laura. I really appreciate all you're doing and congratulations for making Jay McBain's top 100. That's, uh, I'm a big fan of his work. It's quite an honor. Uh, his biggest competitor is probably becoming his wife, though. I think some of the stuff that Michelle is doing is getting pretty interesting, too. But yeah, congrats on the award.
1: Thank you so much. I mean, when he started the this whole tracking of the the podcasts the previous year, there were 20 podcasts in the channel that made his list. And just in the last year alone, we're now at several hundred in the channel. So to still have made that list is I I take it as a total honor because I I still have my feet in the channel. It's still a passion of mine. Absolutely. So I want to talk about this whole idea of charting your course. Now you're, you're VP of cloud at um, DNH, which I used to do business with whose focus has always been helping the little guy, right? You're not just focused on helping the MSPs, which are managed service providers, for those of you who are not in the geek world, those are people who deal a lot with recurring revenue, or the guys that are value-added resellers, right, that just are buying product. You've always focused on helping people grow to another level. And in the industry, two of the other pretty big companies just merged together. And the other one got bought by private equity dnh is still choosing to carve its own path i mean how do you how do you decide those things Jason? and once your organization decides that i mean what are you asking yourself
0: now, that's a great question laura and um yeah i think it really comes down to having a a long-term strategic plan as to where you're kind of steering the ship right you know dnh has been around for uh, this is our hundred fourth year actually so we've as uh, we've seen quite a bit in the market over the years. obviously we've pivoted strategy a number of times. but you know as we compete against you mentioned some of the other distributors uh, in the IT channel that might be a little bit larger, you know, I think we've had the unique benefit of kind of watching what they do and then being able to navigate our own, our own course, as you put it. So I think it starts with you know really the first testament I think is not copying necessarily what the other people are doing. Uh, unless you think you can outperform, outscale, outgrow and do something like that, it's really probably a recipe for failure. Uh, I think it's it's critical that you're able to go out there and, and, and figure out how you're gonna differentiate yourself in the market and that's gonna drive and accelerate your growth.
1: And look who just joined us.
0: <laughs> there he is.
2: Hey everybody.
1: Hey Peter, you made it.
2: Why is my face so big? Oh my gosh.
1: Uh, thanks for joining us. I appreciate uh, no that you're
2: I'm actually using my phone as you can tell. So just bear with me.
1: It's it's not a problem, Peter. So so Jason, continue the thought that you were just talking about.
0: Yeah, so you know, DH, we we have a great leadership team. You know, you mentioned about the way that others are kind of either merging or being acquired by private equity. There's nothing wrong with that per se, if that's their strategy, but what I, I like about DNH is that it actually is a family-run business. You know, Dan and Michael Schwab are co-presidents. Um, uh, they, you know, they they're running the company. Their father is is really still the CEO, right? He's kind of uh, been doing that for a long time. And it was their grandfather that started the business. So there's been a lot of cohesiveness in the leadership team and really the culture. And I think culture is a big part of how you're going to be able to drive and execute a successful strategy. If, if you don't have that, it's uh it's difficult to compete.
1: I'm starting to get dizzy with Peter. How about you?
0: <laughs> <I'm not. laughs>
1: All right. So you know, you say family-owned company, and there's this whole idea of family-owned companies. You should be thinking about an end game and where it may go, and that some people are saying family-owned companies are dead. What's it like as an employee? I mean, you're, you're not just an employee, you're a VP inside that company, both you and Peter. What's it like working inside a family-owned company? Are they talking about this strategy down to you when these kinds of things happen?
0: Yeah, I mean, first of all, when I say family-owned company, um, it, I guess to qualify that further, it's actually an ESOP company, an employee-owned company. So the employees that work there, we're all co-owners. We all co owners we do not don't call each other, you know, employees or associates, it's co-owners. And we own 36% of the company. So it's a really neat structure and it drives, I think, the right kind of culture to be able to, you know, execute on a strategy and serve, you know, if, if you will, the little guys, like you said, right? Um, and absolutely, I think the, the culture that's driven down from Dan and Michael and has been over generations, you know, really does focus on collaboration. So... You know, every co-owner in the company is fully aware of the strategy, right? The things that are most important to drive our business, where the ship is going, how we're going to get it there, what are the metrics that are in place to be able to measure our success along the way so we can make course adjustments and things like that. And Peter, maybe you want to weigh in a little bit on what your, you know, perception is on some of the things of DNH that help us to, you know, navigate a successful strategy and, and maybe show up a little bit different.
2: Yeah, certainly. Um, it's a it's a great question. Uh, so, I'm actually starting my seventh year at DNH, and I couldn't be happier with just the not only the progress we've made, uh, but I think more importantly, the culture. And I know that you hear that a lot from leaders and companies, but I would say, you know, for me, we really get the culture right. Um, you know, I would consider us a bottoms up company. Uh, you know, most of the ideas and the needs flow up from the frontline associates that serve customers and vendor partners up through myself as a leader and Jason and then up to Dan and Michael. And I think most importantly, Dan and Michael Schwab make themselves available uh, like no other senior uh, executive team uh, or duo that I've seen in the industry, Uh, either at a C-level or at a present level. It's really amazing to see their availability uh, how disarming they are in conversations as leaders, right? Because it can be intimidating to meet with the president and CEO. Uh, and this not only includes um, leaders like myself and frontline managers, but also at the associate level. Uh, so, you know, as an example, during the pandemic, Dan and Michael met with us three times a week, right? To talk about what are the needs of associates? What are the needs of our customers? And this started you know, over a year ago, uh, we didn't overthink what our strategy should be uh, around coming back to work. In fact, you know, honestly, we're not even really seriously thinking about it. We've got a flex forward policy, but more importantly, we don't want anything to distract or disrupt our associates uh, or our customers, right? That's a big part of what we do. Uh, Dan and Michael sent out, you know, I think at this point almost a thousand emails and or texts and calls to customers over the last 13 months not necessarily driving dnh mindshare mindshare to buy more from us but i think more importantly just to check in with them right and so when you see that level of energy uh that level of a senior executive to spend time with associates and customers to meet with frontline associates right Danny michael will show up at staff meetings show up at our Virtual huddles. Uh, they'll celebrate, you know, a glass of cheer with our associates and customers. And so, you know, those examples permeate throughout the organization. They set a great example uh, for all of us.
1: Now. And, and for everybody that just joined, Peter got delayed coming in due to some some business reasons. But Peter is the VP of VAR sales, value added reseller sales for um, for DNH as well. So just setting that up for you, Peter. Thank and you. I'm really glad you could make us. I, I know you're on your phone, so we'll just we'll just go with the flow. You know, I've been on live radio for so long, I could tell you stories about what happens. <laughs> I want to take what you were just talking about a little bit deeper and a little bit further. So you talked about the communication from those levels of business as they're going on with, and Jason, before we started the interview, we talked about the 5 billion versus the $50 billion company that has started to be created with a number of the mergers and acquisitions and different things that have happened in the industry. Do you think being not a $50 billion company, being family owned, being smaller, being an employee, 36% employee owned enables you to be more flexible in situations like COVID? where you can pivot more is that a critical element that has enabled both of you and the business to respond the way that you've been able to respond either one of you who'd like to start
0: yeah i think so and you know peter and i have both worked for the big 50 billion dollar type of company as right. well that's Mara, how i so. met you guys you know, it's a, it's a different and neither one's better or worse. It's just different. And what I think we both enjoy about DNH is that flexibility and that culture to go drive that. We're able to be very agile because we can communicate. Uh, part of that's because we're small. Part of it's because it's a fantastic culture, to Peter's point. And, you know, like any company, you have to make decisions based on resources that you have and that you want to invest. One of the things I think DNH has done really well is we we get together as a leadership team and really talk through what are the right investments. And just for example, recently a couple of things we've done I think uh, that's interesting and in, in, in to get ahead of the market, right, where others maybe are a bit flat footed, are things like esports, is an area we're putting an investment into. And uh, in, in my area, we have a program called X as a service or everything as a service, which allows our partners and their end customers to bundle together, you know, hardware like laptops and devices along with cloud and software and services and, and consume it in a subscription model that really works out well financially for smaller companies that don't want to write the big checks, you know, upfront uh, with all their technology. So
1: it is as X as a, a different word for leasing the way you think of it, because I'm trying to make it relevant to some of our, other listeners that may not be in the tech channel.
0: So, Lee, uh, don't,
2: don't, uh, yeah, <laughs> don't
0: get me started so here. So, here's where I, I say the difference between X as a service and leasing is you know, at least if you just want a monthly financial payment, then it's fine. What X as a service does it, it bundles in the rest of your technology, including the support management services of that technology. And, and Laura, as a former MSP, you know that well. Uh, That's a critical component where you don't get that with a lease. So it's really somebody is you're paying monthly to basically consume all of your technology versus where, you know, you're paying monthly for a piece of hardware.
1: And that's something that any of my listeners can talk to any of their service providers about, whether it be technology or otherwise. And, And it's something that entrepreneurs could think about doing to make it one easy nut so to speak, for their customers to handle as well. I love that you guys are thinking about doing that in a different way. Because back when I was an MSP, I was doing that, but I had to work really hard with financial services companies and leasing companies to let me bundle in services and, and all this other stuff to make it one number. Now it sounds like you guys are just doing that. That's a great pivot.
0: That's our role, is, is we go fight the big fights to make it easy for our, our customers, which are the, the MSPs and bars that you mentioned, right? So, you know, when we can make all the financing and get the arrangements and the cash flow and the invoicing processes set, or we can build the right tools to be able to help them build proposals and bundle those together, supplement some of their services, give them availability of the products and hardware they need to do that, you know, that, that's really our role with the, the whole process is to make it easy.
1: Okay. So, Peter, do you
2: want to add? You know, there's really not much to add. You know, I think um, we've got the most flexible X-as-a-service program in the industry right now. So, you know, as an example, if you wanted to DAS a single device, not unlike your smartphone, we can do that for you, right? And some of the other programs require at least a minimum dollar amount or a minimum unit count. And so we're able to do that for you. And then just to echo what Jason said, you know, what I love about our program, we can consume your services and put that into the bill as well. Right. Because, you know, in the MSP world, you're still the brand, right? You're still the service provider. And so, you know, your bill that you provide to the end customer as you full know, full well, Laura is critically important.
1: Well, that, again, leads to the the question about flexibility. As you had said, Peter, it's a bottoms up for needs. So you're interacting with the clients so much that you can say, you know, this is what we're beginning to see surface. These are the questions mm-hmm. we're being asked. But in a lot of companies, small and large, something seems to happen between those top layers, which... Um, as you guys have described is really not happening at DNH but you all each have your own teams as well yeah right you yeah, you so have I, people that you know your clients plus the people that work for you how do you handle those kind of things
2: we we continue to just bubble them up you know i would say in larger companies and this is just you know an opinion an example where they they potentially would look at a, a you know a new market opportunity, and maybe hire a couple of consultants, and to some extent make it a finance-led conversation, right? Or initiative, and it would result in really long PowerPoint sessions with CEOs and maybe even the board. At DNH, we don't have that, right? We're not um, to some extent we're not full of ourselves, right? We don't overcomplicate it. We don't really have huge egos other than, you know, when we go and compete for our customers' business every day. If there's an idea or a market opportunity that we see starting to percolate across our customer base and our vendors, uh, we bubble it up quickly. We'll put the right financial rigor and the right project management in place, but we do it quickly, right? Esports is a classic example where we knew we had to invest ahead of the curve Uh, even uh, with the last 13 months where there's been a bit of a pause in esports due to K-12 and and school districts being closed,
0: we doubled down.
2: We hired more leaders. We hired marketing managers, sales resources, and experts to help us go and do that. We didn't get necessarily hung up in, you know, elongated ROI analysis to justify why we're doing it. We're very confident what we do every day. And And again dan and michael set that example every day uh, by driving an esop culture that hey we're all owners so therefore we all have to get it right so if jason says i think we should invest in esports as a co-owner he knows he's got to get it right right because it impacts his overall life as well so jason i don't know if you want to add on to that
0: peter i think you're 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 clarifying once again it starts with the culture But, you know, kind of tie that into the market and compare it maybe to, you know, because Laurie's talking about, you know, how do we differentiate? How do do we be different and show up different? You know, I I like one of my favorite books that I read about when I got in the cloud and services business about 15 years ago was uh, The Innovator's Dilemma from Clayton Christensen. Really good book because it talks about how a larger company kind of gets hooked on a certain financial model and revenue stream and profit stream. And when something new comes along, it's really difficult to pivot away from that because that's paying the bills. With DNH, because we are, and I say we're smaller, we're still $5 billion. It's hardly small, right? But yeah, small, I mean, one, I would
1: love <laughs> that, you know?
0: <laughs> but we're small and agile enough and have the right culture that we can't stop on a dime and follow a different trajectory to capture a market opportunity like eSports, like X as a service, you know, like what we're doing with collaboration right now is another example. Where I think some of the bigger competitors that we go up against, they can't just, you know, re-engineer their whole financial model to be able to capture that. So eventually they're looking back over their shoulders saying, oh, we missed that one. And that's where I think DNH can do a really good job of, of pivoting into those new opportunities. To, and and frankly, it's not about us doing it, it's about our customers doing it, right? Because they're partners yeah. that that need to go adopt that too. So we spent a lot of time educating them and bringing them along for the ride, right? Showing them why and then how.
1: So you said something that I want to sort of pivot a little bit into, this idea of, oh, we missed that, right? When both of you are looking at what's happening in the industry what other people are doing what even other people are doing inside DNH or any of the other companies that you've worked for right or even if you see another team member do something and you go oh why didn't i do that i'd love for you to talk about for each of you to talk about your process when you're trying to decide I missed that, does it matter? Doesn't it matter? Does it get you down? What are some of the questions that you ask yourself to then say, I missed it, should I look at it again? Or no, just let it go. Because a lot of my listeners at all levels, whether they are in the tech world or just in business world, this is something they struggle with. A lot of times missing something really stops them in their tracks, or then they decide, I have to go and do that. Because as we were talking about charting your own path, you see what others are doing. So what are some of the things you ask yourself, and that you go through to help you move past that? Peter, why don't you start?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, much of what you're talking about is emotional. And that's, that's my belief, right? So You know, the two emotions that would come out of that would be, number one, oh, my God, I can't believe I missed that. You know, what will happen to my customers? What will happen to my business? And the second one is, and this is selfish, why didn't I think of that, right? And so the challenge is, is you've got to put your emotions on hold. You've got to check your ego at the door. And, you know, you've got to compliment others for their success. And then really dig deep, do research, and say, hey, You know, that idea that's out there that I'm not thinking of or executing upon, how does it help the future of our customers? How does it help in our world, the future of our vendors? And is this something that is specific to one or two customers? Is it a trend that's so far in the future that maybe it's not realistic today? Or is it a trend that's starting to develop and over time, you can see the bigger problems that it solves? right and for me that's the other thing that i always focus on is whether it's a campaign a program a product or a service you know i i always ask myself what problem does this solve for our customers and our vendors what problem does it solve for our associates and if it's big apparent problems that i miss then yeah i've got to be a better job do a better job as a leader not only working every day in the business but working on the business right so that you know i can be ahead of the problems that are out there right and that will lead to the ideas that you know not so much focused on others that are thinking of but so that i can be a better servant to our customers right so that's you know my view a lot of that is emotional and you've got to work hard to put that put your emotions on the shelf
1: and so that's a really great point i i love that you you talked about that you you mentioned how did i miss that um had do you ever thought of in those situations of i thought of that but i didn't take action
2: oh absolutely okay. absolutely that happens all the time to to every one of us right and you know that's the uh you know, get up at three in the morning, write the idea down before you forget it, right? So that's step one, right? But the bigger step two is to then take the time to get your head out of the sand, and to be able to say, all right, now that I wrote that idea down, is it something that is extremely important to all my associates to my business, to a specific segment, and then focus on it, right? And then having the discipline to carve out time to focus on the future. And if you do that, you have the discipline. You trust your team; those ideas will come, right, right. And and you know, I think you'll be a better steward of your customers and your associates' future.
1: Great, Jason, you want to add and respond from your perspective to that question?
0: Sure, I think I think Peter's spot on, right? That we're all going to make mistakes. We all have made mistakes, and we'll do it again, uh, or miss something. Another way of saying that, right? But. I think you know. There's two things: is how do you react to it personally, and to Peter's point, keep your emotions in check. But then there's the cultural aspect, which actually can affect you, you know, personally as well and how you react. Right. But um, you know, one of the great things about DNH, which I don't think is prevalent in every company, is that at DNH, you know, when you miss something, it's how you respond to it that you're judged by, and not whether you missed it, right? So you get an opportunity to go say, "Hey, you know, we missed something here. We need to go back and take." Corrective action, or hey, you know what? It's it, we're not going to. We're going to move on past it and we're going go in a different direction with it. And at some point, don't get me wrong. There can be incompetence where maybe you're just not the right person for the job, but that's rare. I think most of the time, you know, if you're hiring good people and building a good culture, you know, like DNH does, you're really going to be able to move things forward and move on from that. And that's what things will be. There's no, there's no fear. It's okay to say I missed something, and it's also more than okay and expected. To congratulate other people that caught something, right? Which is the part that I like, and all the people we work with—it's great. It is really is one team where um, you know we work together. We're we're financially motivated together. We're customer centric together. Uh, there's not those high walls to kind of climb over and try to get something done. It's really just a text, a phone call, or you know, in these days a, a Zoom or a Teams meeting, really quick, right? So yeah, uh, I mean,
2: I'll, I'll also add this is the least political environment that I've ever worked in.
1: Wow, that's you know, saying a lot for very, five billion.
2: Yeah, believe it or not, um, and Jason may have a different opinion, but you know politics are inherent to every company, despite the size, right? Regardless of the size, and um, you don't see a lot of of leaders or associates whispering in the owner's ears, right, with their personal agenda. Now, does it go on? Probably, but it's not something that permeates across the organization. And when it does happen, you know, our bosses, Dan and Michael Schwab, they don't put up with it, right? They'll immediately call so-and-so on what they heard to determine whether it's fact or fiction. So it's rooted out very, very quickly. And, you know, I think for me, that's been enjoyable to work with leaders that are focused on common things, right? As opposed to, you know, maybe um, focusing some of the times on, on expanding their careers.
1: Right, you about, see,
0: go um, ahead. I'm, sorry, Laura, I'm, I'm just gonna add in. I mean, you almost see like a a successful sports organization, I think that sometimes happens more often than successful companies, where people pull together as a team and that really, really does work. And at DNH, it definitely is the case where, you know, if if other people around you aren't doing great things, you're not gonna be successful either. So I mean that's it really does I think typify the culture.
1: You know, I, I think at some point I need to have the Schwabs on the show. <laughs> <laughs> and, and chat with them. So please chat with them and see if they, they'd be interested in being on. Because I have a number of questions that I want to ask them based on some stuff we were just talking about. But you talked about culture, right? And I think that's a great another pivot in the conversation to go to. I love how the the answers and the questions we're talking about are guiding the interview because, you know, that's how I do this anyway. But I have a set framework, but then I chart my own course based on (laughs) what you guys are talking about. So you talked about culture. We've all seen bad examples of culture, right? That used to be considered, okay, let's talk about, the, all the tech startups that for years everybody talked about, you know, there was no cubicles and they fed them everything and they had ping pong tables and, um, you know, it was like sort of a free for all because they wanted this culture to be fun and this and whatever, right? Then the Googles had that same thing and it started to grow and build. And now we're hearing all of these stories about what's really not going on well in the culture, not only at um, those larger companies like Uber, right? The misogyny, the harassment, the the bro culture, those kinds of, of things that are happening. And then you'd see some other companies like what you're just talking about with DNH with that is sort of an aberration in a lot of ways where politics are not acceptable, at least... On the main level, we know that things do happen inside a company, but that behavior is not allowed. How do you guys help build a culture inside your teams and as leaders to let people know you want to know what they have to say, that everybody is valued, And to keep building that because it's something that is not an easy thing to do. And a lot of my listeners are building companies that they're growing, right? They may have started out with a couple of people and now they need to add people. Now they've got people remote that they need to help keep a culture, but in some cases create a culture because there wasn't one. So, what would be your advice that? for people in in building a culture and keeping a culture
2: you
0: want to take the first swing at that one
2: yeah i mean i would say start at the bottom it's really important right so if you're a ceo of a business spending really good quality time with your associates is very important and if you're too busy you don't have the time then you've got to find a way to make it right it's got to be part of your schedule because i think you know, some good one-on-one sessions, some good informal conversations, you know, some more intimate Zoom calls, right? Or live stream or whatever in the virtual world we live in with, you know, one or two or three associates really will, will reveal, right? The culture of the organization, right? I think it's important for you to really have your ear to the ground and understand what's going on. Second, I think your charter should be that we are a transparent company that communicates openly from top to bottom, regardless of title or degree or anything else, this is who we are as a company. And you've got to execute that in everything you do as a leader. So, you know, if you're a CEO and you said, we need to have an initiative focused on a new segment of the market, like collaboration or services, you've got to bring in the lowest level of people to have them contribute their ideas to understand what the street is saying right as well as talk to your customers as well as hiring experts to help you chart that path you've got to connect those dots and believe me leaders see that right leaders who've got egos when they see their frontline associates in meetings they are intimidated by it they're scared by it and candidly they're probably not the right leaders now it can't be unproductive right in how you do this but i think your examples as to how you lead and how you involve the bottom and front lines Really is what sets the example for everyone
0: else. Yeah, I think Peter's uh, you know nailed it on the culture side and the leadership style, is so critical. You know, the thing I might add to that is is even around how you hire and develop that talent to, to come in in the first place. And you know, I think it starts with you know definitely acceptance and focus on diversity. And diversity is a big word, so I'm talking about diversity of skill sets and talent, diversity of experience, diversity of ge- geography, and certainly, you know, desert, diversity of, of, of gender, of, of race, of all that type of stuff. You really gotta bring those perspectives in and show that it's an open culture that embraces all of that. And I think also when you hire, you, you have to, they say hire hard, manage easy. And that is absolutely true because if you hire the wrong person into a culture, they can really start to destroy that culture. So it's critical that you're not only just hiring for those skill sets, which sometimes are the easiest things to figure out because you look at a resume, you ask some questions. It's really about how are they going to act and respond when they're in that environment, when they're in your culture? Are they going to carry it forward um, or are they going to destroy it? And I know that like, it was, uh, it was a surprise. I've had a number of interviews in my life and coming to D&H, I think I met with no less than like 15 different people across the leadership right. team. I mean, I'm not joking. And then I started to think like, okay, this isn't going to work out, but uh, I really got to know the people and um, uh, we, we really make that kind of a practice that especially leadership positions, they really take seriously and, and, and there's a wide variety of people to get involved in that decision process. So
1: it, It's interesting because the hiring process when I had my MSP was always my weakness. Right. I would I would hire the person that I thought was right or I felt really good when I was talking to them. They had the credentials. And then it seemed like when I brought them on board, they were a completely different person than how they presented themselves. And they didn't fit culturally. And in some cases, they didn't fit even technically. They knew how to um, do certain things but when it got deep into it they knew how to answer the questions but not how to critically think through the processes so for both of you we talked about culture but then how do you keep growing them into the culture growing them into um the roles that you need for them? Because somebody may seem perfect for the role, but you want them to also be thinking of perhaps their next role. You want them to be able to grow. How do you as leaders help your staff, your employees, those your teammates to um, live up to what they were in the interview? (laughs) Yeah,
2: I mean, I'll, I'll start. I think the word that you that sticks out with me in the interviewing process is process, right? I think it's one thing for someone to say, "Sure, I can do that. I've done that, right?" Or these are the accomplishments in my career. But to me, the how is is critically important, right? If they answer the question, you get some of the what, but the how they do it, right? And really digging in on the how is critically important, right? And you know, I'm someone who's very detailed, uh, especially during the interview process, because I dig in on what thought process is, how did they get from A to B? What did they do when they ran into a roadblock? Right. I think that's that's really important. What do they perceive the roadblocks to be um, and to see what comes out of that? And, you know, I have a vision for what I believe the process is. And if the vision doesn't match, then I probably won't hire the person. Right. Um, just because I know in the end, they probably won't be successful and it's not a good fit for both my team and for, um, for them as well. Um, you know, DH has done a lot in the last six years, right? So the great part is we're, we're $5 billion. We're big enough to scale, right? But small enough not to overcomplicate things. And the great part about our business is We've invested in our people through succession planning, the hiring new leaders, and they're really building out our learning and, and training area. So I'll kick it over to Jason and he can talk about kind of his view on training and what we're doing and development.
0: Yeah, no question. I mean, you know, I think a lot of uh, call them managers rather than leaders, they're very good at explaining to people what to do and even how to do it. But I think the next step that I think makes a great leader is the why to do it. And I think that d does a really good job and we try to you know, focus on it is working with our team that everything we're asking for, we spend a little while talking about the why so they can see how it fits into the big picture, how it impacts the customer, how it impacts other co-owners across the company, right? So um, sometimes when you do that, you have to be very transparent or you're talking about why, if you use that word earlier and it's true, because it can lead to some discussion, some debate, things like that. And that's okay. That's healthy because it helps the person grow and understand what they, they need to, do to be successful and it. And yeah, to Peter's point, you know, we recently invested in uh, broadening our learning and development organization, hired a separate director to come in just specific to that, the reports into our HR leadership. Um, her name is Megan Garrett. And she's been doing a really good job of helping us with everything from like training to you know how to handle the interviewing process and build the diversity programs that we need and and be successful there, to developing skill based training. Like she's taking the time working with Peter's team, with my team on you know what is exactly do you need and how do we train that? And some of this is complex. when you're building it from the ground up, it's not it's not like you have a playbook. You just folks, oh, here's your cloud training book, right? it's It's almost got to be customized for the company that you're working in so um you know she's been doing a great job spending time helping us to do that and and all of that helps add to the culture and 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 help us scale the business without losing it without losing a beat losing that collaboration that made us successful
1: you know we've been talking a lot in the 40 minutes or so that we've been on the air about this whole idea of charting your own path to success and and talking about all the pieces that fall into that as business leaders, as business owners. You know, We've talked about culture. We've talked about looking at what other people are doing and saying, should we be doing that? Well, maybe not. Um, or yes, we should, but here's how we're gonna spin into that scenario. We've also talked about um, how you staff and how you think as a leader. One area that I don't feel we've really quite talked about is in reference to each of you personally. Okay. I've looked at your careers over the years. I've known you guys at least, I don't know, 15, 20 years um, back when you were with other distributors who shall not be named because I don't know if you want to name them. Some of you have them on your Your LinkedIn bios, some don't, but it doesn't matter who you worked for. But you've made different shifts inside your careers to choose certain pathways. A lot of my listeners are not entrepreneurs, they work in a corporate position. For you guys personally, what are some of the things that you've looked at over the course of your career? When you're changing jobs, looking at balance of family life, what are some of the things you ask yourself as you've made certain moves and pivots in your, your personal careers, in your personal lives? I'm hoping you'd be willing to share that with us and the puppies in the background.
0: Try to mute that for you while Peter maybe starts. <laughs> it's
1: okay. Don't worry about it. Like I said, I've been on broadcast a really long time. The stories I could tell you. <laughs>
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I'll go first. I think it's, you know, it's sort of everything you said, right? When I've always looked at opportunities, I look at two things. One, am I going to learn more? And and my, my view is, you know, you, you, you're not going to learn standing still. You're not going to grow standing still. You've got to seek out other opportunities, other parts of the market, right? I think it's, that's really important. So, you know, During my career as a distributor, we don't want to name, you know, I had a lot of areas that I focused on, whether it was SMB or government sales, you know, and I always, at times I was asked, at other times I volunteered because I was interested and uh, I thought I could learn more, build out my skill set, right? I've never stopped learning my whole career, right? You know, that's something that I'm passionate about. You know, I remember my first day in distribution You know, within a week, I spent an hour and a half with the credit manager because I wanted to learn how she granted credit lines, which is really important to sales, by the way. Um, So I think that's really important. The other thing that I look for is, am I really going to be able to make impact, right? Am I going to be able to drive some positive change? And, And if I can, and if I can bring passion to it, then I'm interested. If I can't bring passion to it, if I'm not all in, then it just doesn't make sense for me. Um, I've got an amazing family, you know, my family and faith is really, really important to me. So that's the other foundation, right? Am I doing something for the greater good? Right. That's important. You know, I've had two stops outside of distribution. One was at an MSP uh, slash bar. I will tell you, it was the, it was the hardest role I ever had. Right. I have an affinity for the, the work that you all do every day, you know, and I did it and I had some friends question it. Peter, why would you do that? And I'm so glad I did because I learned a lot and I'm, and I'm better, you know, better for it. And hopefully that company is too. You know, I joined a product team in a cloud company. I was a sales leader. I had no business being under product. And I was sitting under a bunch of engineers trying to help them take products to market. Again, I wasn't great at it, right? But I added some value in giving them the voice of the customer, right? The voice of the partner that's really important. And that gave me a, a product led and an engineering led view of the world that that's helped me. And, you know, hopefully, you know, it's helping me add some value to what I'm doing today.
1: I, I love that, Peter. I mean, as I said, I've known you for a really long time and I, I, I love the growth that you, how you've moved and changed and you're, I can tell you from my perspective, your goal of thinking of making a difference, everything I've ever interacted with you on, you always did. So I just wanna share that with you.
0: Good to hear, thank you. Jason. Yeah, I mean, Peter said a a lot of good things and I think it's all accurate. Um, You know, one of the things I would say is that don't look at, you know, people talk about a career ladder. I don't believe there is a career ladder You know, it's a bunch of sidesteps and pivots, and sometimes you go step backwards to go step forward. I mean, you know, um, and it took me a little while to figure that out, you know, working for a bigger company, I kind of sat there until someone would tap you on the shoulder and say, you should go do this. You said, all right, I'll give it a shot. But, you know, starting to look at things that interest you and help you diversify your your skills and your experience is important. And like, I had kind of a long-term vision that I wanted to be, you know, in a leadership role, call it a director role uh, at that time and talking to some mentors that I had, they are like, you're not gonna just go from where you are to there, right? Like, yeah, I know I gotta be this manager, and then like, no, get some diversification in your experience. So, I went from like a, a field salesperson over to a marketing role, then a different marketing role. I remember doing that, you talk about family, how important it is. Uh, just had, uh, my wife and I just had a baby, and she decided to have her uh, stay at home for a little while to help, you know, help, help raise her the way we wanted. And I took that other job and I didn't even ask what the compensation was. It was a 20% pay cut, right? Right after we just gave up one income and did that. I'm like, all right. But you learn from these things and you keep on moving around to eventually get to your goal that you, that you have there. Um, you can't plan it all out, but you've got to look for those opportunities to jump into them and and do something different so that when you go into that next interview, you can talk about all the experience that you have. And the other thing is, too, is that, you know, we interview a lot of people, I think we all have. People sometimes show up for an interview, just want to focus on the questions you want to ask them. I love and I always took the approach that if you're coming to an interview, you understand what the role is a bit and come with a plan and literally a piece of paper, uh, uh, you know, uh, an email. I don't care what it is, a PowerPoint and say, this is what my approach would be. And you're probably half wrong the minute you do it because you don't fully understand the role. But that's OK. It helps the interviewer see your thought process and how you would approach it. And either they're going to like that and they're gonna say, that's that's the person I want. Let's do this or they're gonna say that I don't like the way they're thinking at all. And I'd rather know that even as a person who wants the job right now, because I don't want to get into a bad job either. So I think, uh, you know, walking and being prepared to speak to that experience and how you plan to apply it to the the opportunity at hand is is important.
2: Yeah, I think it's really important to what Jason said. You know, I think, you know, the other strategy is not have a plan, give them a little bit of information to get hired. And then when you get behind the door, you try to make their plan your plan well good leaders figure that out very quickly they're hiring you for something different right for a different outcome and so jason described you know exactly how that gets done
1: have you either have either of you been in a position where you took a job or you had a strategy and a plan and it's you get in there and you're doing it, and you go. I'm sure you, the answer to this must be yes, but in the middle of it, you go, "Oh my God, I don't know what I was thinking," and then you wonder how to unravel it. And if so, can you talk us through your thought process of how you unraveled when you were deep in something, either you know, a personal business career or some a, a choice you've made that can help my listeners begin to think of some different ways of thinking of things. Is that clear?
0: Yeah, I'll take it. All right. Uh, I remember I took a role, um, you know, moving into something and, and I, I wasn't sure I wanted to do it, but just like I mentioned, I came into the interview with a plan, you know, it, it, interview takes several, it's, it's a process like Peter said, so there's several interviews with different people and I kind of revised that plan along the way. And, before accepting the role, I said, okay, so you're going to make this investment. I'm going to have these resources. We agree on these numbers, this vision, this is where we're going with it. It's how we're going to do it. You know, I want to make sure that we're all aligned kind of on this. And I get, yeah, it's going to change as I start executing. But if we don't start a line, we're not going to finish a line. And they're like, absolutely. And then you get into it and suddenly it's like, okay, well, you can't hire those people. We said, and your budget was changed to this. And now we want you to go do this instead and accomplish this. And of course you you're you're trying to be a good soldier and you work through and try to do it, but at some point you say, look, let me pull out the, the plan that we <laughs> started with here and see show you how different it is. Like I want to do this and you don't. So either we need to realign or we need to maybe part ways, you know, shake hands and, and move on to something that you know, so you can get something here that works for you and I could go to something I want to do. So absolutely have had those experiences. And that's probably the one I could think of the most.
1: Okay. Peter?
2: Oh, uh, yeah, I mean, it's really kind of the same, same example, you know, took a role, because I thought it was cool. You know, I thought it would help my resume. And, you know, in the end, I just found out, you know, within a few months that I don't know if I can add value here, right, when you really and, and they're just being nice to me, right, just because there were some good things that I thought I was bringing to the table. But I think it's really important to you know, before you accept an opportunity or role to really be true to yourself on why am I doing this? Am I doing it because I can make an impact? And and not only what's the expectation, but I think what Jason said is really good, right? To be able to meet with the other party and say to them, you know, if something goes wrong, what will happen, right? I know you expect X and you're promising Y, but if there is a challenge, then how do you handle that challenge, right? And I think that's that's really important. Um, you know, in the situation when you're in the middle of it, most, the most important thing is being true to yourself and having a plan, right? I always, you know, say to my kids, you know, even though you you're on an athletic team and you just don't like it, quitting is the worst answer, unless it's traumatizing you today. Do what you have to do right now to be <clears throat> acceptable and successful. That doesn't mean what you do today is your future. <laughs> and then as you go and plan your future, if you don't want to do that job anymore, or not be on that team, then that's fine, right? Um, that's fine. But just come to that realization and focus on the things that you can do well now and Okay.
1: All right. Um, last thoughts you'd like to leave my listeners with around this conversation we've been having about charting your own path to success or anything else that we talked about. A last thought. Jason, you want to start?
0: Sure. I think if you're when you're starting to plan, obviously, you're going to have a strategy in place you know one of the things that, that i like to do is is make sure that you have you know kind of a way to measure it right define what success is going to be you know have kind of that end goal and then just as importantly you know figure out what the metrics are that are going to get you to that and uh, i'm a bit analytical peter said he is too and i you know I, I kind of obsess over that but i like to start with a spreadsheet some people hate them but you plot it out over a, a year or two years or whatever period you want and you look and say, okay, if I, for example, recruit this many customers and each one buys this much and they transact this often, and, they, and you stack up these numbers to see if it gets to that goal. And then you've kind of got your metrics, your key performance indicators, and you can look at each individual one and see, is that reasonable? Can I recruit 10,000 customers a month? Probably not. So my whole, my whole plan is not going to happen, right? Can I recruit five a month? Yeah, I can do that, right? i got enough resources. So it's really a matter of making sure that you understand the path to get to the financial number. And if you can align that then with the tactics that go below it to hit each of those metrics, you're going to hit your number, right? If you have three metrics and, you know, five steps to hit each metric, you're going to hit your number. So you think of things that way as you're building the strategy and and trying to attack it. Always have that plan. Don't just go for the big number and, you know, cross your fingers.
1: I I love that. That's a great thing. Peter, are you still there? The video is gone. Okay. I think we, oh, there's Peter. Are you there? I'm thinking Peter is having technical troubles, <laughs> which does I happen.
0: He was gonna say the same exact thing, Laura. I'm, I'm I know we're, you were I
1: can hear you now. All right. How's that better? All right, that's good. All right. Do you want you to go. share a yeah. last part? So
2: Um, you know, I don't, I don't really have a lot more to expand upon. I think Jason closed it out really well. I've heard him talk about that multiple times over and over again. I've been on the other end of that discussion. You know, Jason's a fantastic leader. That's why I hired him. That's why he's here. He does an amazing job, right? And so, um, it's important that you understand the building blocks along the way to your success. You know, everybody says it's great to have a big hairy goal that's out there. But a big hairy goal is achieved by thousands of smaller steps that you have to go and do, right? And 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 achievements every day, right, are are critically important, right? Did you win the day, right? Did you win the hour? Especially in our world, right? Because at times it can be so transactional. So. So yeah, I'm uh I'm really uh, honored to be part of this, Laura. Thank you.
1: Thank you. And I I love that thought about, you know, the big hairy goal has thousands of steps in, in the middle. Did you win the hour? I know so many small business owners, so many entrepreneurs, and so many people who are entrepreneurs working inside corporations, sometimes they forget. It could be, did I win the minute? Did I win the hour? They're always bashing themselves because they're they're trying to look at the day well sometimes it literally is that minute or that hour and i want to thank you both for being here on the show with me today if somebody wants to reach out to you what is the best way for them to i know you're active on linkedin is that the best way for people to reach out to you and connect if they have questions from the interview today
0: LinkedIn absolutely works. Or my email is jbystrack at dandh.com.
1: Peter?
2: Yeah, LinkedIn as well. Uh, P. DeMarco at dandh.com as well.
1: Perfect. And the reason I wanted to have the both of you on is because over the years I've known you, you are both men of integrity. And I've seen you chart your own paths to success through many iterations and different companies. And at the end of the day, what always comes through for me with the both of you is you seem grounded and centered with wanting to make a difference for yourselves, for your family and for the companies you work for and your clients inside of those. So thank you for being, um, you know, that in, in the world.
0: Laura, thank you. And we could say the same thing oh, about thank you. you. Laura.
1: Well, thank you so much. Hang in there. I'm going to close out Absolutely. the stream. And this is always was so much easier when I had somebody producing my shows. It would just made it a lot easier to go back through the things. I, I loved having Jason and Peter on the show for the reasons that I just told you. when, you have your business, when you're starting your business, you may see people doing things left and right, going in different directions, and you feel that you have to do them your own way or you have to do them not your own way but the way that everybody else is doing them I hope from the show today you got that you don't have to you want to look at it you want to analyze it and determine is that the right way to go for me for my business for my clients you don't have to do what everybody else is doing but you may want to look at it and one of the ways you do that is by asking yourself a number of questions because at the end of the day the right questions can change your life have a great day everyone
0: You've been listening to It's All About the Questions, starring Laura Stewart. Connect with Laura at itsallaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions starting today.